Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. After a life spent in the elite environment of the Formula One pit lane learning how to win, this podcast aims to bring that elusive, high-performance culture into your daily lives. In this week's episode, we're looking at some Formula One team case studies and asking the question, when even the best laid plans don't turn out the way you thought they would, how do those F1 teams react? And more importantly, what can we learn from it? Welcome back to Pit Lane Life Lessons. Talk about how Formula One teams are so successful. Tiny things, but you only find those tiny things when you look for them. Of course, there's only one winner in every Grand Prix, so for everybody else, you haven't won, so it could be deemed that's, that's a failure. Hello everybody and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast with me, Mark Priestley. Thank you so much to all of you for joining. I appreciate every single one of you, no matter what you're doing whilst listening to this, how you're listening or watching, and wherever you are in the world whilst doing those things, I appreciate every single one of you. Thank you. I appreciate that taking an hour out of your day is valuable, precious time, so I'm grateful to you for choosing to spend it with me. Also, massive thank you to anybody who took the time to send me a message this week to leave me a review or a rating in the Apple podcast store, or even if you just shared the podcast among your communities and friends, it meant the world to me. So thank you so, so much. And please, please continue to do that this week as well. This time around, we're going to look at some F1 case studies. We've got the first race of the Formula One season underway in 2023. That's happened. That means we've got a set of results. We've got some data. Uh, We have some evidence to base opinions on as to whether or not a team got off to a successful start uh, or otherwise. And of course, the teams will be doing exactly that behind closed doors in-house as well, looking at how their opening weekends went, what they need to do in reaction to those. And as we go through looking at a few of those teams, both good and bad, obviously what I want to do is try and take away some of the learnings that we can from that. For you and I, the things that you and I face as challenges every single day, when we set ourselves targets and goals, did we meet them? Did we exceed them? Did we fall below those expectations? And if we did any of those things, how do we react to that? How can we think more like a Formula One team does when they come up against the same set of circumstances? I hope there's benefit to this. I'm sure it's a situation that every one of us faces almost all of the time. So I firmly believe, like with everything, there's a lot to learn. I guess these are theoretical situations. I don't know any more than you guys what's really going on inside, behind the walls of these F1 factories. I don't know the details of exactly why Ferrari's power unit failed. I don't know exactly what was going on inside the garage at Red Bull. These are theoretical examples that I'm going to use here based on the sort of evidence and the the things that we witnessed over the course of the weekend in Bahrain. But it should give us enough information to extrapolate some data and some opinions and therefore some lessons that we can all hopefully benefit from. So I thought let's start with the good ones. Let's start with the teams that did well, who perhaps met their expectations or even exceeded their expectations. Because what happens is at the start of every Formula One season, 
a Formula One team will have a plan in mind. They'll have a strategy for their season. And even in bigger terms than that, teams will have a five-year plan, for example. And this isn't restricted, of course, to Formula One teams. Businesses, organisations have the same thing. They'll put together a five-year or a three-year plan. They will look at the the year ahead, perhaps the quarter ahead. Um, Formula One teams, of course, have an even smaller plan for a race weekend, for example. And you and I do exactly the same. Sometimes it might be subconsciously. We may not write that plan down or that strategy down. We might not vocalise it even. But when we're coming up with a phase of or coming up to a phase of life, for example, whether we are starting a a new job or a new project within a job, whether we're embarking on a new relationship, for example, in our minds, at the very least, we put together a strategy or a plan or we have an idea of how we think that phase of our life will go. Now over time of course as we start to get results in, as we start to move through that phase of life we get some evidence to either back that plan up, we get evidence that either sort of says what's happening in life is meeting our expectations, it's going as we thought it would or it's not. And as a result of those bits of evidence, that data that we gradually start to collect, as we get that in, we have to start to react. We have to maybe adapt our strategy. We have to think about how we play out this situation perhaps differently. Maybe we continue down the same path. Maybe we evolve our strategy. Now, these things are happening all of the time, quite often in the background for you and I. And as I said, most of the time, that's quite often subconscious. At a Formula One team, of course, it's much more formalised. A Formula One team will quite often publish their five-year plan. They will talk about it in interviews. We've heard it many times about how a team is going to get to where they need to get to over the course of the next five years, for example. And I want to refer back to my friend, Dr. Max McEwen. I talked about him a couple of weeks ago on this very podcast He's an expert in strategy, in life in general, in business, and his definition of strategy is the one that I prefer most. It's a definition that I have absolutely stolen for myself and use every day. I refer back to it whenever I'm thinking about strategy because I think it's a, a really basic and simple one, but absolutely encompasses what strategy is. So let's start with that. He says strategy is the means by which we get from where we are today to where we want to be with what we have. And that's it. That very simple definition kind of sums up strategy. Whether it's F1 strategy, you can apply it to anything. That's how you get through a Grand Prix. Formula One race strategy is exactly that. It's getting from where you are, i.e. the start, your position on the grid, to where you want to be, the best finishing position at the chequered flag you can, with what you have. And that's with the kind of car that you've got, with the driver that you've got, the set of skills and character traits that that car and driver possess, with who's around you on the grid, the tools, the team that you have, what you have, that's what you use to get from where you are now to where you want to be. If you think about that in any aspect of life, it applies everywhere. In a five-year plan, it's exactly the same. And at the start of a Formula One season, if you look at the big Formula One teams, if you look at the top three, let's say, let's say Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull, you probably could assume safely that their goal, their strategy target would be to win the championship. Anything other than winning the championship for the top three teams probably would be deemed some kind of failure. 
They have budget, they have experience, they have history, they have brilliant people, they know how to win championships, all of them. So anything less than that is probably unsatisfactory. But only one of those teams, or one team on the grid, can actually, of course, win the championship. So two out of those three are going to be dissatisfied come the end of the season. But already after race one, as I said, we've got that first set of data, that first set of evidence and results back in uh, to decipher or decide whether or not our original plan is still the one, the right one, still the one that we should be working towards. And of course, what we do have to do with any strategy, whether it's the short term strategy of a Grand Prix F1 race strategy, or whether it's a longer term plan over a race weekend or a season or a five year plan or even our life plans, is we have to continually be evolving those. There is no plan or strategy that should ever just stay the same from start to finish. And the reason for that is if you think about those three elements to that definition of strategy, if you think about how we defined it a moment ago, getting from where you are now to where you want to be with what you have, all three of those continually change in our lives. The goal or target for many people, some will change all the time. Some people will be changing their targets and their goals continuously. For others, they may not change quite so frequently, but of course they do evolve. They adapt over time. We might grow as a person and start to change what we desire in life. As a 20-year-old, your target might be to get a certain amount of money or to live a certain standard of life, to have a certain type of house for you and your family. But as you get older, your goals tend to change and it may be that happiness becomes a much bigger part of that strategy for life. Your goal could be just to be happy or to create happiness or help create happiness for the people around you, to help create an environment in which happiness can thrive for those people. Your goals and targets are constantly evolving. So that's one out of the three that for many people changes, perhaps a little bit more slowly than some of the others for some people, but it does change. But the other two are changing all of the time. The idea of, of where you're starting from. Of course, that changes constantly. Every single day we're in a new place. We've moved forward, hopefully, from where we were yesterday. We've learned some stuff. We have acquired some things. We've gained some skills. We've got some experience that we didn't have the day before. We may have moved geographically to a new location. We might have moved job or moved position within a certain company. Our starting position is one that's in constant flux. And of course, the things that we have around us. So if you take this idea of where we start from, where we want to get to, we've talked about those two constantly moving. What we have available to us is also, of course, constantly changing as well. Again, come back to those skills that we acquire and develop over time, the tools that we have, the people around us, the amount of resource that we have available to us will be constantly changing. The position in life in which we find ourselves is continuously evolving. So what we have available to us to help us achieve our target is another one of these constant variables. And so as a result of those three parts of the definition of strategy continuously evolving, of course, the strategy itself has to be continuously evolving. And that means we have to come back to it regularly and ask ourselves the question, are we still on the right path? Do those three elements still exist the way we set them up at the beginning of this journey? Have some of them changed? Do we need to look at changing some of those? 
And now that we are one race into a Formula One season, if we take Formula One as an example, we can do exactly that. If we look at those top three teams to start with, we'll look at the likes of Red Bull, let's say, who got off to a wonderful start. They absolutely smashed the Bahrain Grand Prix with a 1-2 finish, almost maximum points, just missing that fastest lap point. But it was a pretty spectacular weekend from their part. On their part, they will have started that season and that race weekend with a goal of doing exactly that, of winning and coming second, of taking maximum points, getting the most successful result they could out of that Grand Prix weekend. Their starting point, of course, at the start of the weekend was the same as everyone else's. It was the very beginning of a Grand Prix season. They had a starting point that they knew they had a car that was good from pre-season testing. They knew roughly what they had, but they didn't know how that matched up to everybody else. They knew what they had available to them, which was the skills and brilliance of a great team of people that are proven, that were already world champions. They had Max Verstappen, the current world champion. They had all of these things. They knew what they had. They knew pretty much where they were starting and they knew what they wanted to get towards. Now, as the Grand Prix weekend evolved, of course, in their situation, it evolved in a pretty satisfactory way. They had a few little niggles here and there over the course of the weekend, but they dealt with them well using the things that they had around them. Their target remained the same, which was to win the race and come out of there with as close to maximum points as possible. So for them, they will have looked at their strategy over the course of that race weekend. And whilst there were some little lumps and bumps in the road, they were pretty much on the same plan from the start towards the finish in terms of getting towards that same target. So I guess in that sense, in every time they revisited that strategy or that plan, there wasn't a dramatic change required. There wasn't some panic stations that kicked in because things kind of went to plan. And if you think about how strategy works or plans work or how we feel as we go through and revisit the plans and strategies in our life, it typically stems from how close to our expectations life is going. Whether we set ourselves a certain level of expectation, whether we meet or match or exceed or fall short of those expectations has an enormous bearing on how we feel how our emotions come out and therefore how we often react as a result of those things. For Red Bull, their expectations, I imagine, were pretty close to being met. They expected to be quick. They were quick. They expected, as the season, as the, the weekend went on, to win that Grand Prix. And that's exactly what they did. Of course, with Checo, they had a slightly dodgy start. And so they had to recover that situation. That was something that went off plan because they would have hoped that Checo got a blistering start and the two cars could just pull away seamlessly over the course of the race. That didn't quite happen, but they had enough pace in that car that with some decent strategy, some great driving and some great teamwork, they managed to recover that early blip and get back onto the original plan where both cars were able to pull away and come home with the almost perfect result. So for Red Bull, their expectations were met. They went away happy. It doesn't mean that they don't change or adapt anything. That doesn't mean they haven't got things to learn. And as they get to the next Grand Prix, of course, they will have the same targets in, plan, in place. They will still want to win the next Grand Prix in Saudi Arabia. They will have a starting point at the beginning of the weekend, which 
is similar to people, everyone else at the start of the weekend in that we start from zero, of course, in theory, but they do know they've got the quickest car. They've got the best car out there. So they're in a slightly better position than everyone else on the grid. They know what they have around them. They've now got that brilliance in terms of the, the team around them, but they've also got confidence. They've got evidence to back up just how good they are. Their expectations were met. And so as a result, emotionally, they're all feeling positively charged. They're going into that weekend with momentum. That's something they didn't have around them when they went into the first weekend. One of those three variables has changed, therefore, in a positive sense for Red Bull. They now have a bit more confidence. They're a bit more buoyant going into the weekend than they could have possibly been at the start of the season, where there would have been nerves and a few unknowns. So their situation is a massively positive one, and all the while they keep meeting expectations that will continue. And when that happens in our lives, it's brilliant. It's the, it's the perfect situation. When we set ourselves a target, we exceed that target or we meet it comfortably. Of course, it gives us exactly that. It gives us confidence to go into the next challenge with our chest puffed out, feeling like we are on top of the world. We know that feeling. Those are the best feelings. But what about when it doesn't quite go perfectly like that? So if we take another of those top three teams, Ferrari, as an example, and again, I said earlier, these are theoretical examples because I don't know the exact details of what went on with Ferrari's power unit, for example. We know they had a catastrophic failure on Charles Leclerc's car. But if we take their three variables that make up that definition of strategy, at the beginning of that Bahrain Grand Prix weekend, they knew they had a good car. They may well have known that it probably wasn't as good as the Red Bull, based on what we learned from testing. But they had a decent car to be comfortably in the top three. They had two very quick drivers. They know that. A great team of people around them. They know that. Resource, the maximum resource available to them. They've got all of those things. They know where they want to get to. And that, of course, is the same as Red Bull. They wanted to win that Grand Prix. They wanted to come away with as close to maximum points as possible. Over the course of the season, they want to win the title, as we said. But as that Grand Prix went on, they had a, a set of variables that were constantly evolving, of course. The target remained the same. They still wanted to win the race. But their starting point after qualifying, for example, wasn't quite what they hoped. They would have loved to have been on the front row, of course, like everybody else. They didn't manage to achieve that. And so they had to adjust that starting position slightly in terms of their overall strategy. They still had a car that was great. They still had great people, but their car wasn't quite matched up to the competition in terms of Red Bull. They had to factor that into their strategy. Maybe they had certain strengths over another car, but weaknesses compared to another one. They had to factor all of that in. As the data comes in and they learn more and more about their car, that bit in the middle of that definition of strategy, what we have around us, is continually a learning model. They gradually learn more about what they have, what their strengths and weaknesses are, and therefore factor that into the strategy as well. And as they got to the race weekend or the race day, rather on Sunday, of course, things didn't quite play out the way they hoped. They had a lot of good elements around that Grand Prix. They had a lot of promise in terms of the potential of that car. But as we know, on Charles Leclerc's Charles car, there was this huge catastrophic engine failure that brought their engine or brought their race to an absolute standstill and a stop early. They didn't even make the chequered flag. That was a disaster. 
When we talk about meeting expectations, they didn't meet them at all. In fact, they fell so far short, they had the worst possible start to a season on Charles Leclerc's car. That means, as we talked about, and the same applies to you and I, when we have a set of expectations, whether we vocalise them or not, or whether we keep them internalised, we somehow, whether it's subconscious, we have a set of expectations. And for you and I, this can be what it's going to be like when you start a new job, what this new relationship might blossom into. We may not talk about what we think two years down the line this relationship might look like or whether it will last two years, but internal, internally, we probably have those little internal conversations going on. If we're going into a relationship with somebody that we have, we really quite like, and we see promise in this, we start to have those internal conversations about imagining what the future might look like. Those are our expectations that we're setting ourselves. Now, if that relationship fails after a month, for some reason that you did not predict, your expectations have not been met. And therefore, you're likely to feel disappointed, deflated, because your expectations looked very different to the way that that particular situation turned out. As a result of that, you lose confidence. You start to question yourself in a relationship sense. You start to ask yourself the question, what did they not like about me? It was going so well. I thought this was perfect. And yet the other side of this relationship saw it very differently. You can start to ask yourself some very difficult questions. You can start to question yourself in terms of what was your responsibility here? What did they not like? What did you do wrong? What's wrong with you? These are the sorts of questions that crop up all the time when confidence is low as a result of expectations not being met. Now at Ferrari, going back to our Formula One example, the same thing will be happening. Formula One, uh, sorry, Ferrari will have had these expectations of being on the podium at the very least, hopefully winning the race, setting up a championship. This is a long term. Over the course of this entire year, they want to set up a championship challenge. And the very first race is just as important as the very last one in terms of the points that you can acquire to accumulate for that championship challenge. On Charles Leclerc's side, they came away with zero. They got nothing out of that. It was hugely disappointing. Their expectations were far from met. As a result of that, they will now go into the next race, the next set of challenges on this roller coaster of a, of a championship, low in confidence. They will be questioning themselves. They'll question their own performance levels. They'll question their own ability. Ferrari, of course, make their own engine. They design and manufacture their own engine. This is them as much as the chassis and the car is. They will be questioning themselves heavily here after falling so short of their expectations. The next time they come to a racetrack, the next time they look at building a car and preparing it for a Grand Prix, there's going to be a lack of confidence. The opposite to what Red Bull will, will be feeling. And of course, confidence is a huge part of anybody's performance, not just in Formula One racing, but in life. If we're full of confidence, things are good, we perform at a higher level. We don't have the nerves and the, the lack of confidence that can often inhibit us in so many of the basic functions of life. If you're full of confidence, if things are going well, everything seems to fall into place a lot easier. For Ferrari, they've got to try and overcome that. Because their expectations haven't been met, they will now have to reformulate a strategy, reformulate a plan for not just the next Grand Prix weekend, but 
slightly longer term as well. If you look at, again, those three elements of the strategy definition that we talked about, what they have has changed enormously because they've got a car that might be fragile now. They've got a car that has an inherent weakness that perhaps they weren't aware of beforehand. I don't know exactly what the problem was with the engine, but we know it's there because it reared its ugly head in the most public of fashions. That might mean they have to tweak and adapt their strategy as a result of that. Because going flat out, for example, may be the thing that cost them dearly. That may be the thing that tipped their engine over the reliability threshold as it did at the weekend. And maybe then as a result of that moving forward, they need to think about the usage limits of their engine. They might need to think about running their engine at the highest power mode for less amount of time over the Grand Prix weekend, i.e. keeping it turned down a little bit more in practice, for example. And again, I'm theorising here massively. But these are elements of that strategy plan that have to evolve as you get more and more understanding and learning coming in. Their target, I'm sure, will still be the same. But if this continues over the season, they might have to even adapt their targets. Where they want to get to might change. Because winning a championship might become unrealistic. It might even become mathematically impossible as the season goes on. And so they might have to adapt those targets. And that idea of where they want to get to will have to be changed. The idea of where they are starting, of course, will also change because they're starting in a different position to somebody like Red Bull. And as we've already said, what they have available to them is also something that's continuously evolving as they learn more and more about the car, as they have to wrestle with this continually changing set of emotions that come with the previous set of results. Confidence, that buoyant feeling around the garage that you either have or don't have based on what happened last time out. And if we look at the third one of those successful or top three teams, if you like, successful is the wrong word to use because they weren't all successful. Only Red Bull really were truly successful in that sense. But if we look at Mercedes, of course, they also had those same targets. They would have loved to win the championship, but they failed to meet their expectations too. Now, they knew that long before they got to Bahrain. They knew that their expectations, their initial expectations of developing and producing a car that was going to be capable of taking on Red Bull and challenging for this world title, they'd probably fallen far short of that. Testing, of course, backed that up. As soon as they got the cars on track, they realised it wasn't good enough as well. And over the course of the Bahrain Grand Prix weekend, they equally had that hammered home to them just how far off the pace they were. They may have finished in the same ballpark as Ferrari. They may have finished in that same part of the racetrack. They might have been the third best team, but that's a failure in terms of not meeting their expectations. And so the same things apply to them that apply to Ferrari in many senses of how that impacts the people in that team. But looking at their strategy, what do they do? Well, we've already seen that Mercedes have talked in terms of massively changing or adapting their strategy. The long-term strategy for Mercedes is probably going to be they will need a different car. They'll need to reassess, redesign, reproduce a completely different concept of racing car because the one that they have pinned their hopes to just simply isn't working. Now they have more and more data, more and more evidence to confirm that they got it wrong. They will have to adapt their strategy to think about how best to, to 
meet their longer term expectations. In the short term, they know they are highly unlikely to win the World Championship this year with what they have. And so if they haven't got something capable of winning that, of doing that, they have to change their strategy. They have to adapt where they want to get to. What's a reasonable target with the car they have? Because being number one is probably unreasonable. And if they keep sticking rigidly to that same initial target of winning the World Championship, they're just going to be more and more disappointed. The impact of not meeting those expectations will get greater and greater and greater and have an even bigger negative impact and the whole thing will spiral out of control. So adapting the target, adapting your strategy is key. It's crucial. Mercedes will have to look at their targets and say, well, where can we reasonably expect to get to? What would be deemed now as a positive outcome for this season? And it may be finishing third. It may be finishing second. It may be that they could challenge Ferrari. Maybe that's where they now set their targets. And that might seem defeatist, but it's not. It's realist. It's looking at what you have around you. For Mercedes, they have a car that isn't capable of coming anywhere close to matching up to Red Bull. But they do have a car that might be capable of challenging the Ferrari. So if they've got that, if that's what they have around them, and they know where they're starting they also can start to put together a target of where they want to get to. And that might not be the same one they started off right back at the beginning of the process of designing and developing this car was. Now, the point of me talking about all of these and looking at these three teams is to learn what you and I can do when these kind of situations come up in our lives. Because we all set out in, as I said, any of those situations I described, uh, a new job, a phase of your life, a relationship, a challenge, a, a sort of project at work, whatever it might be, you can apply it to anything. As we set off or embark on a particular journey, we will have all of these elements of strategy in our mind, even if it's only subconscious. We know where we're starting, which is our current position, where we are now where we are in our career, where we are in our personal lives, where we are at the beginning, perhaps, of this particular project at work. We might know very clearly where we want to get to. For a clearly defined project at work, that answers itself. You know what the challenge is with that particular project. You know what you have to achieve. It's probably even defined and laid out in some kind of project brief for you. So you know where you are and you know where you need to get to. So ask yourself, what do you have around you? What do you have around you to be able to achieve those targets? And that comes down to the people in your team. It comes down to the resource that you've been given to complete this project with. It comes down to you, the strengths and weaknesses, the characteristics that you possess. What have you done before? How accomplished are you? How confident are you in all of these things? Now, for a business, for a company, I go and speak to lots of organisations all over the world, and they are always talking in terms of these longer-term projects, the three-year plan. One of the biggest failures I see with a lot of these companies is that they want to rigidly stick to that three-year plan, even two years into it. I often go to annual meetings. I go to a lot of these season kickoff meetings where they go to the the start of the year, they'll bring the whole company together to try and motivate everybody to get on board with the plan. 
to review or look at where they have, where they finished last quarter and look ahead to the quarter coming up, for example. But quite often it's all about rigidly sticking to the plan, reminding everybody of what the plan is. We've seen it in Formula One terms as well. We've seen teams continually talk about the plan and how we're going to stick to it. The reality is sticking to a plan rigidly without having flex, without having adaptability built into that plan or built into the culture of your organization to allow people to question the plan, to come up with new ways of of adapting that plan is foolish. If you haven't got that because of those three elements that are continuously evolving, as we said earlier, your plan is outdated very, very quickly. And if you just want to rigidly stick to it, you will find yourself in no man's land. You'll find yourself lost. You'll find yourself struggling to meet expectations. And as a result of not meeting those expectations, because you couldn't adapt the plan, the confidence levels go and all of those negative impacts that we felt or we talked about earlier start to apply. And when you get those negative impacts, as you can imagine, the whole thing spirals downwards and you get further and further away from those targets you may have set yourself all that time ago. Now, for us in our lives, in our businesses, we have to, first of all, continually start to look at revisiting the plan, checking our expectations and asking, are they still valid? Are they still reasonable expectations? Is our goal and target still something, even though we may have set it quite some time ago, is it still something we should be sticking or heading towards or should we be adapting it? Look at the other two elements of that definition of strategy, where we're starting, because that is changing every day. As I said, if you're talking about relationships, the more you get to learn about each other in that relationship, your starting place when you wake up every day is different. You've learned more. You've got more data. It's like going through a Grand Prix weekend. You've now got evidence to know whether your starting point is still valid or should it be evolved and adapted. You've got data that you've collected from this person on the other side of the relationship. You may have been on a few dates. You now understand a lot more about them. So has your starting point changed? Of course it has. What you have around you, as we said, is also changing too. The more you get on with this person, the more you learn about this person, the more you explore each other in this relationship, the tools that you have around you are constantly evolving too. Because the information you now have that you now possess forms one of the tools and abilities that you have to understand what that person wants, for example. The more you start to talk over dinner on a date, the more you question each other, the more you learn about the personality that's sitting opposite you, the needs and requirements that that person has, the more you're able to now adapt to meet those needs and requirements if that's what you want to do. You know what that person needs from a relationship. Now you start to understand, are you the right person to give it? Do you have what that person needs? Does that person have what you need? All of these kind of things are evolving continuously and therefore what you have available to you is constantly evolving. So if we don't come back and continuously reassess those three elements of our strategy moving forward, we will never get closer towards our target. Our target is one of those three that has to be constantly adapted and changed and checked. 
If not, we will move further away from that rigid stuck in the mud target that we set so much so long ago. And that will have all of those negative impacts we talked about. Now, let's talk back in Formula One terms about what happens when you've had a disastrous weekend and you haven't met your week, your, your weekend targets. You're reassessing targets that now look so far out of reach. You have to continually or massively, significantly change your overall strategy. And Mercedes is one of those you can talk about, but they're in the top ballpark of Formula One. It's all relative, of course. They are... They had a disappointing opening weekend of the season, but if you were somebody like Alfa Romeo, if you're Alfa Tauri, if you are Williams, you're going to be pretty happy with coming third. So it's all relative. It's all about how those results matched up to your expectations or targets. Now, if you're somebody like McLaren, as an example, which we talked about to some extent last week, McLaren, of course, have had a difficult opening start to the weekend to the season. Again, expectations have not been met in any way. They even talked openly at the press conference about not meeting their design targets, falling short of those development targets. Now, that's a a difficult thing to admit for a Formula One team, but they they admitted that and they admitted it very publicly. They admitted it early on. They knew quite early on from the numbers coming out of their wind tunnel and their CFD departments, their simulation departments, they knew they had failed to meet their initial targets and expectations. But rather than continue plowing on down the same path, knowing that what they had around them had now changed, they had to adapt the other elements of that strategy plan. So for McLaren, what they did is they changed tack. They changed their strategy. They redesigned or rechanged the development path that they were on with their car very early on. They will start to see the results of those coming in the races that will start to come over the next weeks and months. They're not having to adapt as a result of the first race. They weren't shocked and surprised to see how their car performed at the first race. They knew it early on. They identified it early on because as we should all be doing, they continuously revisit how that strategy is looking. They looked at the data as they started to get it in, as that evidence began to show itself. They looked at it. They started to reevaluate the elements of that strategy plan and ask themselves the questions, right, where do we want to get to? Where are we now? And what do we have around us? And the one that said, what do we have around us? They suddenly realized as the data emerged, that what they have around us was not what they expected to have. And so that means whatever their eventual strategy target might have been in the beginning might no longer be quite feasible in the short term at least. Perhaps their target, and I don't know this internally, what they were saying internally, but perhaps their target was to break into the top three. They're unlikely to do that now because what they have around them isn't good enough to achieve those kind of results yet. So their long-term target might have changed to redesign the car, redevelop it, change the direction of development to an eventual, eventually get into a point where they can potentially look at targeting breaking into the top three. But that's not going to happen in the short term. So in the short term, their targets will have had to have been adapted. Now they're going to go into a Grand Prix weekend with very different expectations. They're not going to go into the Grand Prix weekend in Saudi Arabia expecting to be the third best team or to get into that top three. It's unrealistic. 
So having adapted that, the expectations are now lower, which means whatever their expectations might be, and it might be to get a clean weekend, given that the first one was so disastrous. If they can get through that weekend, having met those expectations, instead of having the negative spiral of effects that come from not meeting expectations, if they can meet their now much lower expectations, it'll have the opposite impact. There'll be a positive effect to meeting those expectations. Because for the team and within the company, the expectations have now been changed. The elements of their strategy have changed. They know where they're starting from. It's a lower position than they hoped they would have been. They know what they have around them, which is a car that unfortunately isn't capable of breaking into the top three. It has its weaknesses. Luckily, they know what many of those weaknesses are and they're already addressing them in the background. But on the Grand Prix weekend, they know what they have is less than what they would like, but they know what it is. So they accept it. And now their target for that Grand Prix weekend is also set much lower. It's a more realistic target. And therefore, the impact of that is they're much more likely to meet their expectations. And as I said, get the positive impacts that come from that. That's because they have constantly looked back at their strategy, at their plan, and adapted it, evolved it as more and more information comes in. And that is the big message that I want to get across to you. As you go through your days, and you might look at whether it's relationships or work or whatever, it might be financial targets, you've got to continuously look back and keep checking in with that original strategy to ask if it's still worthwhile sticking to that plan. Is it still valid as a plan? Or should we be reassessing it? And the answer is we absolutely should be reassessing it, reassessing it all of the time. More information comes to light all of the time. And therefore, we plug it into that model of those three different elements. And we ask ourselves, can we still meet up to those original expectations? Or do we need to adapt them? In either direction, by the way. If we now get better results than we thought, we should be adapting our expectations in a higher plane. We should be setting ourselves an even greater target, pushing ourselves further, looking to achieve something more because we think we can, because the other elements of that model, what we have around us and where we're starting might have also changed in a positive sense. If we can look at the things that we do every single day and look at the things that we're, we're hoping to achieve and continually check back and ask ourselves, are they still achievable? Are we still on the right track for those? Or do we need to make even just some small tweaks? Are the things that we've tried so far in this project or in this relationship or in this phase of life, are the things that we're doing at the moment still getting us closer towards our target? Or are we trying things that are just not working? Can we figure out why they're not working? Is it fundamental? Is there a problem with this strategy? Do we need to completely change it? Or do we need to just tweak some things? But going back and having a look at, again at the strategy, at the plan, and asking ourselves, do we need to make some changes, is an important part of everybody's life. As I said earlier, in businesses, in big corporations, it's incredible how many people don't do this frequently enough. How a team of people might have worked for months on formulating a plan. They might have produced literature, booklets, little short films, presentations, graphics, all kinds of posters and things around the business, around the company that highlight the plan. Booklets that everybody has received. 
they're quite often reluctant to go back in and change that. Whereas if we're much more open to changing that, our culture of our organisation will be much more open. It'll be much more adaptable. And as a result, the results will get better. We will get closer to achieving that target. And this comes down to people being able to question the plan. In a business, can your your staff, can people in your organisation, no matter what level of that organisation, can they raise a hand and say, listen, are we still on the right path here? I've got an idea that maybe will work differently or work better. Can they question the plan? Or is the culture so fearful of the leaders in that organisation and there's been so much emphasis put on this plan or this strategy that no one feels comfortable enough to question it? The leadership have put so much effort into communicating this plan through conferences and all these other elements that I just talked about, literature, posters, booklets, films. Does it seem so set in stone now because so much time and energy and resource have been put into communicating it that no one feels brave enough to question it? I firmly believe that's more common than we think in in business culture. But what about in our lives? If it's just you, if it's just a one person strategy, you for your life, do you ever question it yourself? If you've put so much time into coming up with a set of values, a a set of beliefs, a target in your mind. And in your mind, you've got to a point over some time of, of defining that, setting yourself on a path towards that. Do you ever come back and question it? Or does it feel like that would be failure? Does it feel to you like if you question a target or reassess a target, maybe even get to the point where you feel like you want to lower that target, does that feel like failure to you? Because I would argue, actually, the opposite is failure. Continually, blindly heading towards a target, which if you plug in the details, the new, evolved and adapted details into that model we talked about earlier, if that target is now unachievable when you look at the other two elements of that model, what's the point in plowing on towards it? It's not failure to reassess and adapt your targets. It's actually that's the measure of success. Being able to continually look at yourself and ask yourself questions of what you're doing, that's success. Failure is blindly plowing on into almost certain oblivion because you told yourself some time ago that was going to be the target and you're never going to stop and give up. We live in a culture now where it's almost become cool, it's always become sexy to be a sort of a hustle entrepreneur where you've got to be working till three o'clock in the morning and then you've got to get up again at five and start working before everyone else is up. That's how you get success. This is what social media is now full of. People who've made it and they give you your 10 reasons why they made it. And it's because they never slept, because they didn't have time to eat. They'll sleep when they're dead. Those kind of narratives can be quite destructive in reality. I'm not ever going to tell you that hard work is not going to generate success. Of course it is. I don't know anybody who's had massive success and didn't work hard. But having the awareness, the self-awareness to question your own targets every now and again and reassess whether or not they are still valid targets or should they be either raised or lowered based on where you are now and what you have around you. 
people who are self-aware enough to be able to do that, those are the people that I think in the end will generate success. To take one final case study from the, the opening Grand Prix of the season, if you think about Esteban Ocon, I mean, what a disastrous weekend that was. What a disastrous race weekend, especially. It was almost comical, the number of penalties that he received. I'm sure you all saw it, and I'm sure you were all sort of almost chuckling as that played out over the course of that Grand Prix. But if you think about that situation that Esteban and his team would have found themselves in, their target, of course, was smashed out of the water very early on. Right from the very start of that Grand Prix, when he found himself out of position on the grid and then received that original five-second penalty, that's massively hampered the ability to achieve whatever targets they originally set themselves. And then, of course, they may have still believed that that was possible after the five-second penalty and adapted the strategy to try and make the best of it. But then, of course, they got the 10-second penalty and so on and so on and so on. Now, in that situation, think about that in terms of our own lives. How many times, how many people are familiar with a situation like that? When we go through a day or a week where everything just seems to be going wrong and you think nothing more could possibly happen to us and then another thing comes along. We've all been there. I'm sure every one of you is familiar with a situation like that that has happened to you, whether it's over the course of a day, a week, a month, whatever. What happens is when you get something go wrong in your life and then another thing goes wrong on top of that, another thing happens on top of that, typically what happens to us is because this series of events begins to compound, our confidence drops, we start to drop and shrug our shoulders, we have absolutely no motivation to continue and as a result of that we probably make further mistakes that mean more things go wrong. Esteban Ocon in that race on Sunday was having such a disastrous series of failures that almost certainly he had exactly that same kind of emotional response and he got a pit lane speed limit fine, probably because he wasn't focused in the same way that he would have otherwise been. They compounded, the, the negative impacts compounded and got worse and worse and worse. And that spiral, that negative spiral that we talked about earlier just disappeared out of control. And at that point, of course, his race is ruined. He's got absolutely zero chance of getting anywhere near even the lowest targets they could have possibly set themselves for the weekend. So what do you do in that situation? And what do you do in that situation in life when that happens to you? My take on this, and I'm pretty sure this is what will have happened in Esteban Ocon's F1 team at the weekend is that when those moments happen and it seems like the end of the world and it seems like you just cannot achieve anything your targets have gone you still go back to exactly the same process in my book you go back and you reassess yes you've had some disastrous result and then maybe another one but reassess every time your target now may be unachievable so what's your new target what could you get out of the day ahead of you, out of the week ahead of you, out of the Grand Prix in Esteban's case. In the case of that Formula One Grand Prix, their target could well have changed to, even though there was no discernible result that would have benefited them or got them points, the target might have changed. Well, this is the opening Grand Prix of the season. This is our best opportunity yet to measure our car up against others to get real-world data from a competitive environment, something that only happens this particular season 23 times over the course of the year. 
So this is a learning experience. So now the target might shift to what can we learn out of this weekend? Can we explore the limits of our car in certain parts of this racetrack? Can we make changes to the car in terms of setup and see what happens to gather data? What can we learn? That could be the new target. Where are we starting? Well, we're starting now at a point where we're last in the race. We've got no hope of winning, so we can have some clear track in front of us. We've got a unique opportunity here on a Grand Prix weekend in amongst the other cars to test our particular car and package in a situation that most others don't get the same level of freedom to test. There's our starting point. What have we got around us? Well, we know what we've got. We've got this car. We've got, this is the car that we've found some weaknesses, but we've also found some strengths. Let's explore those. Let's test some of the changes that we can make to diff settings, to engine settings, for example. Let's tweak some of those and see what happens to our results, to our data. And if you plug in that same model, even though the situation looks like the end of the world and there might be nothing to learn, Actually, you can learn a lot. And that little test session in the middle of a highly competitive Grand Prix for Esteban Ocon towards the end of that might have been very, very valuable. They might benefit from that further down the line. In yours case and and you and I's case, when we have those disastrous days, the same kind of thing can apply. We can look at the day. We can say, well, look, it might be a write-off in terms of what our original goals and targets were. But what could we learn here? What can we reassess and reposition ourselves to try and achieve here? And there are so many different things that we can apply every single day. Depends on where you are now, what you have around you. And then you can plug in that final part of the model. Where do you want to get to? What What could we achieve? What could we learn? It might be to overcome the feeling of, of, uh, of disastrous, you know, downturn spiral that you're feeling at that moment. Maybe your target is to dig yourself out of that moment, of that feeling, of that negativity. Before you get home to family and loved ones, can you turn it around? You know where you're starting. You're starting from a pretty low place, but you also know that you've probably done this before. Your strengths and weaknesses of you as a character, as a human, you know what you've got around you. Now, for some people in that model, it might be going to some comfort food or to com- a comfort situation. For other, you know, that's obviously does its own negative impacts as well. But it might be going to the gym. It might be that you take yourself out of the current situation at work and you go to the gym at lunchtime and you just work out and you get some of that adrenaline flowing. You get those positive endorphins that come from that exercise that flood your brain with that chemical that just gives you a little bit of positivity. And from there, maybe you start to turn things around. But my point is, by looking at whatever situation you find yourselves in, whether it's good or bad, whether you've met your expectations or your expectations have been blown out the water, if we go back in and look at those three elements, where am I now? Where do I want to get to? And what do I have? By looking at each of those three, adapting them, changing them, evolving them based on new information, we can start to put together a model and work towards it. That is strategy. Formula One teams are doing all of this in the background right now. They're going into the next race weekend, which will be the next opportunity to really test and measure themselves up against each other, to measure whether they can achieve those very public targets 
that we all judge them by. They know what they've got. They know where they're starting from because they've got a set of data from the first weekend and they know what they have around them to do that with. They'll be plugging in either subconsciously or unconscious, uh, subconsciously or consciously rather. They'll be plugging in the elements of that model and trying to figure out what they can achieve this weekend. And the results will be there for everybody to see. But you and I can do exactly the same. And that is what I would encourage you to try and think about this week. No matter whether you've had a successful period or a disastrous one, reassess your strategy. Reassess where you want to get to, where you are now and what you have around you. If things have gone incredibly well, don't just sit there complacent. Don't just think, well, it's working, so why change anything? You may not end up changing very much, but reassessing that strategy continuously is really important. You might find that the right plan is the one you're on, but quite often, and in fact, almost always, there is something that can be tweaked or adapted. Even when you're doing brilliant and you're getting great results, look at how you can tweak and adapt to move forward. Maybe even reassess where your goals might be. If things are going incredibly well and your goals now look quite easy to achieve, is it something you should be pushing? Should, be, should you be adapting the target and moving it further up, moving it further away? Red Bull will be looking at their brilliant start to the season and they will be questioning whether the same target still apply. And I don't mean winning the championship. Of course, that longer term target will apply. It will always apply to those top teams. But going into a Grand Prix weekend, it wasn't the perfect weekend in Bahrain. They got an almost perfect result, but over the course of the sessions and qualifying, it wasn't quite smooth running. It wasn't quite perfect. There will be things they will look to improve on that. And so their targets might be being evolved and adapted as they go. If you've had something disastrous happen to you, it is natural and very easy to want to throw away any targets you might have had. My advice would be to not throw them away, but to reevaluate them. Look at whether they're still valid. Look at tweaking and changing the other elements of that model of strategy that we talked about. What does that now look like for you? Should your target be changed or is it something that by changing or adapting the other two, plugging in new elements, new learnings, new data into the other two elements of that model, you could still achieve. It may be harder to do, but that doesn't mean it should be changed or it's impossible. Or maybe things have changed to such an extent that the target now needs re-evaluating and there is nothing wrong with that. As I said earlier, plowing blindly on towards a target that's impossible to achieve is simply foolish. That's the worst kind of strategy. You will never achieve it and the negative impacts of that will be profound. Reassessing, like McLaren had to do when they got the disastrous results coming out of their wind tunnel and their aerodynamic research. When they realised that their expectations were far from being met with their development targets on the car, they had to reevaluate the strategy. They've done that in the short term, the medium term and the long term. Mercedes is doing exactly the same and we should be doing that all of the time ourselves too. I firmly believe that there are so many occasions in life when thinking more like a Formula One team thinks can help you and I. 
in our daily lives. But I believe that strategy and thinking about a plan for the short term, the medium and the long term is one of those things that absolutely, if we think like a Formula One team, we might just be able to achieve more. I'd love to know how you get on. Reevaluate your life and your goals, whether it's prof- professional, personal, romantic, whatever it might be, financial, any of your targets that you have in life, and we all have them, as I said, right at the very beginning. For many of us, they are subconscious. Others, we write them down, we vocalize them, we even publicize them. Businesses have to do this on a very public level in some cases. But even once you've announced to the world that you want to try and achieve something, it's an even braver, even more successful way to approach this if you find that that has to change. Come back and tell the world that too. Be open, be vulnerable, be brave enough to tell everybody that new information has come to light, like McLaren have done, and evolve your strategy. Adapt your strategy and tell people that this is the new plan. This is where we're going to try and get to now. And this is how we're going to go and do it. And even if you don't want to tell the world, telling yourself is probably one of the most valuable things you can do. Having that internal conversation rather than just ignoring it, sweeping under the carpet and letting things play out by themselves without any intervention from you is out of your control. You're leaving it up to the gods at that point. And then expectations are almost never met. And if they are, it's only by accident. And that's rare. If you want to have some control over whether your expectations are met and then get the benefits of meeting those expectations, which is great. They're profound, those benefits. Then you need to take control of how those expectations are set. And all of that comes down to strategy. Guys, we're going to leave it there. I hope you have a wonderful week. Can I ask one thing of you all, please? If every single one of you did this for me this week, it would transform this podcast. If you can share the podcast, if you can like or follow or subscribe, depending on whether you're watching or listening to this on whatever platform, and if you can leave me a rating or a review on wherever platform it is you're listening to this, I would be so, so grateful. Genuinely, that means the world to me. If you can do that or tell a friend, however you can interact with this podcast and help grow it, I would be really appreciative. Have a wonderful week, guys. I will talk to you again in seven days time. And in the meantime, remember this. This is part of my strategy for life. Try every single day to get as close to this as you can. Do the right things. Do the things right.